You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by Lacrosse Boots. Because the Lacrosse Alpha Burley Pro is 100% waterproof from top to bottom. They're great for crossing creeks and walking through wet grass. They come in a variety of camel options from mossy oak to real tree, gore optifade, true timber, and are insulated from not insulated to 1600 grams of thinsulate ultra insulation. Lacrosse Boots done right since 1897 welcome to the nine finger chronicles podcast brought to you by exodus trail cameras the number one podcast for bow hunting product information and hunting stories from across the nation and now here's your nine fingered host Dan Johnson. Oh, here we go. Welcome back to the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast, Hump Day Edition. Thank you for tuning in. Man, we got another kick-ass podcast today, and we're joined by Jared Frazier of 2% for Conservation. Now, for those of you who do not know what 2% for Conservation is, what they're all about, you're going to find out today. And on today's podcast, I ask Jared, who works for uh, 2% for Conservation, what the company is all about, what do they do, how people or businesses get certified to be, I guess, 2% Conservation certified, what steps they have to take, and uh, why is conservation important, uh, not only on the individual level, but for a for businesses as well. So, I mean, we cover a lot of information in this podcast and I'm I'm glad because I was really happy with 2% for conservation and that is why I wanted to get the Sportsman's Nation certified under the 2% for conservation umbrella. Uh, and so I also talk on this podcast about what I do what I did and what I have to do uh, to get certified and maintain that certification. Uh, And then I also talk about why I felt it was necessary that I do that. With that said, that's today's podcast, man. It's good. It's very, you know, we can talk about awesome hunting stories. We can talk about gear and strategy and whatnot, but we got to talk about conservation as well. Huge, huge supporter of that. And, uh, Yeah, that's what today's podcast is all about. Now, before we get into the podcast, really quick, with the hunting season fast approaching, uh, I was in my garage the other day and I was digging through all my gear and I came across my Ozonics and I didn't realize until recently how important that uh, piece of equipment is. Uh, Not only in the tree, it does remarkable things, but 
at home in my dry wash bag, it is a miracle worker. So what this what this does is it prevents me from having to wash my clothes on a daily or by you know every other day basis throughout the hunting season. I put my clothes in the dry wash bag. I hook it up to my Ozonics. Very simple. I uh, hit the dry wash cycle and away you go. And I walk away from it for 30 minutes, an hour. However, sometimes I actually let it run overnight, depending on what time I get back to the house from a hunt. And it kills my odor. So I know the next time I put that piece of equipment on, whether it's a pair of pants, a stocking cap, gloves, jacket, whatever, I know it's scent free because the ozone produced by the Ozonics did its job in the dry wash bag. Um, And if ozone is something that you've never had to deal, you know, you've never tried before, I strongly suggest, you know, you, um, you take a look at Ozonics. And the reason being is I feel it is a huge benefit and it can actually save you money in the long run from having to wear out your hunting clothing and having to wear out uh, your washing machine by washing your clothes multiple times, uh, you know, uh, a hunting season. I went from washing my clothes probably on a daily or every other day basis to maybe washing them only when I got blood on my clothes. So uh, that's something I think you guys should think about. Uh, The ozone does its job. Take a look at uh, Ozonics hunting.com and here's the offer right so the the discount code is 9fc or nfc excuse me nfc18 and what you need to do is you need to put the dry wash bag either with the hr 230 or the hr 300 both both the unit and the dry wash bag in the checkout bucket then you enter the discount code at checkout and it gives you the dry wash bag for free so you're saving a big chunk of money there so um take advantage of that man it's a win-win situation uh the way i feel anyway so ozonics there's that i did my commercial i paid my bills thank you guys for uh not fast forwarding through all this here is a conservation podcast with jared frazier from 2% for Conservation. All right, everybody. Today on the podcast, I am joined by Jared Frazier from 2% for Conservation. How you doing, man? Doing really well. Glad to be here. Good deal. Good deal. Now, you work for a conservation company, right? Well, but let's put conserv- or organization, let's put that aside for a second and talk some meat and potatoes because I don't know about you, but for me, I have an elk hunt in two weeks and whitetail and whitetail season is coming up really fast. So needless to say, I am freaking jacked for this upcoming, uh, archery season. Uh, how about yourself? Uh, you know, I've already got friends with, with pronghorn on the ground. Uh, Montana and Wyoming have been open for like a day and they've already tacked out. Wow. So I already, I already feel like I'm behind the ball. Um, but man, I can't wait. Absolutely cannot wait. Where, where are you going elk hunting? Colorado. Colorado. North, south, central? Uh, it's going to be a little bit west of south central. So, okay. yes, uh, if you were going to cut Colorado in four slices uh, right down the middle both ways, I would be in the southwest quadrant. So, 
I've hunted down there a little bit. Nice, nice. What about yourself? Uh, what do you got on the agenda for this year? Well, I've got about 16 tags in my pocket. <laughs> but that's that's just an average Montana year. <laughs> you, be, you better get busy. Uh, yeah, yeah. And then my wife drew a really fun muley tag as well. And so um, it's, it's her first year hunting. And so we're going to kind of take that kind of low key, but that's, that's in, in Montana, you can draw, uh, archery tags or rifle tags and she drew a rifle tag. Um, but it's in a spot where I could also, you know, take a pronghorn or take a doe or something else while she's in this kind of lack of better term trophy zone. Yeah. Um, but it's her first. So, you know, we're going to be happy with whatever we whatever we find out there. I also drew an archery elk tag uh, up in the Missouri River Breaks, which oh, boy. it's beautiful up there. I went up there a couple weeks ago and I uh, was, was doing some conservation consulting and public access consulting. And uh, it happened to be right where I drew the tag, <laughs> which I, it, it just worked out that way. Nice. Um, yeah, yeah. And saw some nice bowls, which just did not help my cabin fever. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's, it's forest fire season here. So like you, you kind of stay inside yeah. for the most part, but I don't want to. Yeah, I hear that, man. I just had a, a buddy draw the break, one of the breaks units uh, last year after, oh man, nine years worth of tags. And uh, that was for an archery hunt. And he he was able to harvest an absolutely gorgeous bull uh, mm. last season. And uh, he did it. He put in his time scouting and, and all the, you know, everything that takes. So how many years did it take you to draw that tag? Uh one one okay and and this isn't going to help my cause uh at all with your listeners but i also drew it last year is that um, is that like it, a a lottery or is it is it a lottery a preference it's point? not a it's not well it's, it's 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 a preference point kind of thing but uh both times i didn't like last year i drew it and I was all excited, but then I started this job opening day of archery season last year. So I actually did not even hunt it because I was, you know, you get, you get this job, you hustle, yeah. you know? Uh, and then I found out later, like, Hey dude, you're going to lose some street cred if you, if you, you know, <laughs> don't get out of it. And I was like, but the work needs to be done. Like, yeah, sometimes that means hunting. Yeah. Um, okay. I can, I can adapt. Um, and then, uh, I, you know, I only archery hunted like three days last year because of that, uh, but, um, this year I ended up getting lucky and drawing it again. So, um, it's a, it's a really unique area. It looks flat, but you quickly learn that it's not, mm-hmm. um, and that it's, it, it also has crazy temperature swings. If it, if it rains out there, you're not leaving. I know a guy who got stuck out there for nine days last year cause he couldn't get his vehicle out because it turns into like, you know, river bottom mud. Wow. Um, um and he has, he has a pretty beastly rig and he was stuck out there. So, um, there's, there's things to consider with it too. So, wow. uh, we'll see how it goes. We'll see how it goes. So 17 tags, uh, I mean, that's going to take some time to, to even just get out and hunt those. But do you have like what a walk-in cooler if you're really successful? 
<laughs> um, you know, I, getting yourself the opportunity is pretty inexpensive here in Montana, uh, tag prices wise. So, I mean, these these tags aren't just four legged. This is this is also my upland, my waterfowl. Uh, gotcha. You know, it's gotcha. it's a it's a broad range of hunting available. Gotcha. Um, I've got a bear tag, a wolf tag, you know, or, or you know, getting those things um, because you might see one. You might have a have a chance at right. one while you're out there. Right. Um, right. But we just got a, a, a wire hair pointing Griffon pup this year, and we live in a, a big upland waterfowl kind of community, and it's the one piece I've been missing for engaging in that. So I'm I'm just gonna be like, I don't know. I'm I'm gonna be like a fart in a spacesuit this hunting season. I'm gonna be everywhere. Right. I, 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 yeah. Well, ADD. Totally. I'm going to be rooting for you, and I'm going to be extremely jealous of you all at the same time. <laughs> You're more than welcome to come out. <laughs> That's there's there's a lot of folks come from out. You know, everyone thinks you got to come out west to to just hunt. You know, uh, the big you know the the big boys. Yeah. Um, but the fact is, is there's a lot you can hunt out here, and there's huge swaths of public land that anyone can go to. You don't have to have a lease lined up. You don't have to have absolutely any anything. You can just go so yeah plenty of opportunity cool cool well good luck this upcoming season man um Thanks. now two percent for conservation and i want to ask you you're new to the organization relatively i mean you've been there a year but i want to ask you what were you doing before you jumped on the two percent for conservation so what i was doing as far as for a paycheck uh, was I was doing web design stuff, graphic design, doing some recruiting for folks, some event management stuff. Uh, basically, jack of all trades, sort of, uh, but in in things I had experience with um, to pay the bills. Right. Uh, one of the, one of those you know millennials with kids who also has a mortgage, and therefore you know I I got bills to pay, got mouths to feed and ate nothing in this world for free. Yep. So, uh, was doing all that stuff, but I was also volunteering my time with different nonprofits in the area, uh, doing pint nights, going to public meetings, doing fence pulls, stream cleanups and whatnot. And through that, got to know some folks, uh, in the outdoor industry. And then when this position became open, I was contacted to apply. Uh, I didn't know that this position was open. I actually was not pursuing something at a conservation org at the time. I had applied for like one web design job uh, at a conservation org, but otherwise was not thinking a director type position yeah. uh, just because, you know, I was I was writing code or designing graphics or whatnot. Um, I, you know, I was volu volunteering and still do volunteer on a couple committees and boards uh, for different nonprofits uh, in my volunteer time. But uh, you know, other than that, didn't have experience running one myself. Um, but the way 2% works, it's, it's kind of better to have experience on the business side, um, and know the two worlds so that you can connect the two. And, and, uh, apparently that's, that's why I got hired. So, cool. and so, that was actually, uh, the interview was a year ago yesterday. Oh, nice. So when they called and they said, Hey, uh, we're two per we're two percent for conservation. We want you to apply for a job and potentially come work for us. What were what were some of the thoughts that were running through your head when 
you had you know you you had a job already but a con- a true conservation organization expressed interest in you and you know there was a potential that you would go work for them what was kind of your thoughts there well the the levels are actually a little bit more layered um, than that one one was when when 2% started about 3 years ago uh, a Facebook post went up by Randy Newberg that there was this new org. And if you gave 1% of your time and 1% of your money, you, know, you could be individually certified. So I signed up. Um, I've now since discovered I was the eighth person and like the first one who is not friends and family uh, to get certified, which was kind of exciting to discover in the uh, member list. Like, oh, I was pretty passionate about this a couple years ago. Um, so I, I was pretty well aware with two, of 2%. Uh, but then also it, it was actually, uh, Randy who called me, he advises our board from time to time and he, he let me know that the position existed and that I should reach out about it. And I, I was just kind of like, this is something I really care about. I, and, and you miss all the shots you don't take. Yeah. So I, all right, I'm, I'm going to go, I'm going to go meet with them. Um, on the, on the conservation side, I do have, you know, experience from volunteering and, and whatnot and, and being around the biologists and the, uh, field workers and, and the agency people. Uh, but then on the business side, it's something I'd been advocating for, for a long time was, Hey, there's all these businesses making money on the outdoors. Uh, what are they doing to give back, right. uh, beyond, beyond a, a mandated excise tax and and what are what are hunters doing when we put so much of our time and money uh into enjoying ourselves what are we doing to give back right so um i jumped at it i i was headed to a meeting to go sign a client i really did not want and canceled that that meeting and drove into town and uh it's like what (laughs) what what do I got to do? <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, here, so, and here we are, right? And and here we are. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. So about a year later. Yeah. Cool. So within the first year of your job at 2%, what what have you learned about I guess the the hunting industry and how it pertains to conservation? Oh man. So there were things that I had learned just from working, you know, I had a couple clients in the outdoor industry. Um, and there were things I had picked up on and kind of had, uh, notions that they might exist, you know, certain rifts between people, certain alliances between people, tribalism, was it real? Was it fake? Where, where was it, you know, a problem? Where was it useful? Um, and had just notions about things. Well, then when you're on the conservation side, and when you're not just saying, hey, I represent this, this species or this uh, type of recreation or this access issue or educational thing, when you're not coming from like a straight one specific cause and you're coming from a, hey, you need to be engaged uh, and put your own skin in the game. Um, I got a real quick education as to how the sausage was made yeah. <laughs> in, in, in some respects in certain corners. I would say my overall experience has been extremely positive, especially as I see uh, the younger generation and more females and minorities come in. Uh, the the mindset that they have from a, I get this, what do I need to do to pay for it? I don't have a lot of money. Where should I put my, you know, where, how should I invest? Yeah. Um, 
it's it's a very generous generation that is coming into hunting right now. I'm not saying that millennials in general are a generous generation because we know the stats on that. But the ones that are joining hunting and fishing do in in huge ways seem to be um, almost irresponsibly. <laughs> so <laughs> as as I've been reminded uh, from time to time uh, uh, with with some of the folks, but. Um, you know, the, the other thing with the, with the outdoor industry that I've seen is there are people, uh, who really want to see some positive change happen in a very public way. Yeah. Um, we have, uh, I was, I was recording uh, with another podcast, uh, uh, just recently, and we were talking on the media aspect, um, some of the changes that are happening and they are extremely positive. It's, it's no more, you know, here's how you can spend one tenth of your income to get the biggest buck possible. Um, it's here's how you can help ensure that people in your community are going to have the opportunity to hunt. Yeah. Here's how you as a starter hunter can go out there in jeans and flannel and actually get a decent buck um, using your brains instead of your pocketbook. Yeah. Um, and sometimes using your pocketbook as well. But, you know, um, there's this really positive change that is that is happening that's really encouraging and it, it, overall that would be the the number one i guess flavor the last year has left on me right. um, from working in the industry so there's a you know if we're going to go in chronological order uh there's some other questions that i want to want to ask you but they the two percent for conservation has two different levels right you you can uh, be certified on an individual level you know, like mm -hmm. Dan Johnson can be certified. However, yep. recently, uh, I, uh, and when I say I, I mean the sportsman's nation was certified for 2% yeah. for conservation. You know, I had to go through a, a list of steps and we'll talk about that here in a second. But my question to you is the, the hunting industry as a whole, right? your goal and the organization's goal is to try to reach out to some of these companies and, and, and convince them that giving 1% of their income uh, or their revenue is a good idea and 1% of their time is a good idea. What kind of resistance have you met from hmm. the hunting industry uh, on some of those people who are just like you – know, it's like you're making your money off, you know, you, you described it earlier. They're making their money off of hunting, but they're not giving anything back to it. Uh, so there, there have been three types of resistance. Um, the first one is the, are, are, are the people who just don't get it. And, and I mean, on a fundamental level, do not understand why money needs to go to fish and wildlife, mm -hmm. which is a, that part was, uh, a larger and more established, meaning their businesses have been around and well-known for a while, portion of the hunting and fishing industry than I thought. Not huge, but still, you know, a larger percentage yeah. than, and, and, and who it was, um, was surprising. Uh, especially when you look at the media that they put out talking about how they give back. Um, uh, I've had a couple different responses on that front of, uh, uh, you know, well, I give back by buying this many tags for my staff every year. Cool. Um, 
what else? Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, and, and I, you know, was, was a bit more, uh, uh di- diplomatic about my response when right, they said right. that, but yeah. Okay. So that's, that's number one. They just don't get it. They don't see the point of conservation work. They don't see the point of conservation orgs. They don't see the point of them giving back. They don't see where it makes sense for them on a dollar's standpoint, what, what they would get back. And these are people who make money off of hunting. Um, the second group of people that I get pushed back from are, are folks who (laughs) they don't, they don't, they don't like, um, playing well with others. Um, so they don't want to be listed on a site with a company that might be a competitor. I'm proud to say we have multiple competitors, uh, who are registered, uh, you know, and certified, uh, uh, Sitka and First Light, both camo companies, both mountain companies, both companies based. I mean, they're one's in Idaho and one's in Montana, two states that, you know, talk about how the other one sucks so much. Yeah. Um, they make products for the same kind of hunting uh, for the most part. Yep. Um, and they partner together to work on things, on conservation stuff. As as Sitka's co-founder Jonathan Hart says, conservation is not a competition. They get it. Yeah. There are other camel companies I've spoken with who have said, I will absolutely never be a part of something that name of XYZ is, is involved. Someone with. has actually said that to you. Yes. Oh my God. I want to, I want to punch that person in the face. Uh, uh, <laughs> I, I had, I, I had to go in and give myself a little pep talk. After. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, you kidding me oh, now man. in contrast to that, in contrast to that, um, you know, we just had dark, dark, uh, mountain supplements get certified and they're a direct competitor of mountain ops, right. uh, supplements. I told Jordan, Jordan Harbison over at mountain ops. I was like, Hey, uh, you know, this is just to warn you, you know, your first year competitors has now gotten certified. And his immediate response was, that's amazing. How yes. can we work together? What do we need to, what's something we could do? Like, that's the, that's what we need more of. Right. Um, <laughs> that when I, when I talk about, you know, seeing how the sausage is made that first response, finding out how many people making money off of hunting actually know very little about a hunting B conservation. Um, but then the, the, the other thing was, you know, how many people are used to suing and fighting each other. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, I used to run into this helping run media events. Uh, we'd have people wearing one style of camo for a shoot and then someone would show up with a shotgun and it's got a different, you know, brand on it. And they're like, you can't do that. You, you can't, you can't take that photo. Yeah. You know, um, and, and, and the shoot was like partially going to be used for conservation purposes. Yeah. Well, what in the world? <laughs> We're getting in our own way. It's a, it's a bunch of Madison Avenue ideals that somehow, you know, invaded uh, back in the 80s and 90s, and you got camo companies suing each other, bow companies suing each other. It's it's obscene. The third thing that I run into as far as com- – so the first one is ignorance. Second one is I don't like playing well with others. The third is I don't want to uh, sound like a braggart. I don't want to be like, oh, well, I get back 2%. Um, that's – I get that response back. Uh, people who are like, I, I just – this is my private life. I'd rather you know, keep it humble, which I appreciate. Um, however, there's a reason why we exist and it's to get the notion of the standard into the public eye, the standard of giving 1% of time and 1% money. And it's actually one of the most, 
humble, uh, soft-handed ways you could do it. Yeah. Um, it, you know, if you if you own a service company, you're going to someone's home, or you own a restaurant, you know, uh, and y- your customers see on there that this company gives back. They're not just thinking about, oh, my purchase is going to something good. They're also thinking that is something good. Giving to conservation is something good. I should be doing that too. Right. It's 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 a natural next step for some people. Not everybody, obviously. There's always an exception, but it's it's a way to help move the needle in a positive direction for fish and wildlife and for the future of hunting and fishing. So that one's that one's of the three that I run into, that one is a is is an easy one. The first two, we're talking about needing to replace people in positions at different companies before right. before an understanding of the importance comes through. Right. So when you especially on the first two, right? So let me back up a second. The individual who says, "Well, I don't want to brag, I'm humble." I'm sure <laughs> I'm sure you would I mean, what do you say to them? Do you say, "Uh, hey man, you can go ahead and get certified and we'll never mention your name." Yeah, we could we could keep quiet about you if you want. Yeah. Um, but their, you know, their thing is they don't want to walk around showing, you know, Hey, I do this. Um, and our response back is no, you have to do that. Yeah. Some, if, if we're not speaking up for fish and wildlife as hunters and anglers, we know who will. And the moment that happens, we've lost our seat at the conversation. Yeah. And, and we just, we just left the dinner party and joined the menu. Right. So that that is that argument when i run into it is it's it's usually you know five minute conversation and 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 they're starting their paperwork right um now that said you know if you go to our website right now you know you're not going to see 300 companies on there Uh, we have we have over 500 individual members but our business list is growing slowly and that's for a reason it is a standard um we don't let people buy the certification we don't let people um, fudge it. You know, you, you as you know from filling out your paperwork. Yep. Um, you know that you got to have a tax ID. <laughs> yep. um, uh, you know, you have to you have to be on the up and up, and you and you have to actually be doing the work. Yep. We certify work that's already been done, not what someone says they're going to do. Right. Right. So going back to me, this resistance on the first two that you mentioned, right? Ignorance and then not, doesn't play well with others. What are, what is your rebuttal to, to those people who just, you know, I'm sure it might be a different rebuttal for each one of those examples, but I mean, it's your job, right? To, to convince someone that this organization is a good idea. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So when I have this, this, conversation um on the on the ones who just don't know um on the ones that just don't know it's <laughs> it's a long walk um it's it, it's typically not the kind of thing that you can get into their head in one conversation but where i where i go with it is look Yes, there are typically the ones who 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 say there's there's no need for this are the ones who also say, well, I already have an excise tax, meaning they sell 
uh, either firearm-related goods, archery-related goods, or fishing tackle-related goods, because there's excise taxes on those that go directly to fish and wildlife conservation in the U.S. Um, they are typically of that camp, to which I say, okay, so it's your customer who's paying the excise tax. Right. Um, and you're being forced to do that. You're not doing that of your own volition. An excise tax does not make a conservationist. It, it makes it makes you fund it by accident. That's like saying when you go and buy gas, you're you know because of the taxes put on some of that that get put towards habitat restoration. You know you're environmentalist. It just it does not does not compute. And hunters have hidden behind it for far too long, and businesses that make money off of it have have hidden from it for far too long. But what 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 I often like the the positive ones that I run into that I I have a good conversation with about it who just don't see the value are typically people who have been hired from outside of hunting right. to make money for the hunting company. Right. So we're talking about someone who maybe was doing marketing for like JP Morgan or, you know, uh, <laughs> or, or, or like Chick-fil-A for, for 10 years and then was hired at name of big outdoor company to, you know, work their magic there too. And someone took on a hunt so that they had a couple of pictures of them for their, you know, business profile on the website and that's it. Yeah. They don't, they don't have a heritage of it. it and so it's like dealing with a, a first time hunter, in which case it's a, it's a pretty, um, uh, in kind kind of uh, education conversation yeah. that, that, that you can have. My buddy, Tim Kent calls those non-participants and uh, non-participants. And those, I, I agree, man, those are some of the most difficult people to work with because especially for me, right? I sell advertising on uh, the network and on this particular podcast. So when I go to someone and try to explain to them what I do uh, and my passion for it, they can't relate to me. So all they care about is numbers, right? Mm, and mm -hmm. uh, you know, it's good. I mean, it's good for good for that company probably on, on when it's, talking to me about, you know, Hey, give me money that they don't have a passion for that. So they're making probably decent business decisions on, you know, where that should go. But when it yeah. comes, but when it comes to conservation, I feel like there is, there's, there has to be passion in, in yeah. the conversation for, in order for it to, to, I guess, take hold and take it to the next level. Mm -hmm. And on that, um, you know, one, one thing I, I, I you know, uh, kind of reach common, you know, you always look for your commonality, right? Something right. that you can both discuss that, hey, this is the thing we both understand. Um, and I used to have to do this for web design. I'm like, well, why does my website have to work on a phone? Um, you know, the question, like if there's any web designers listening, they're like pulling their hair out just at that question. Uh, but if, if you don't know, then you don't know. Same, same with conservation. So what, what I always go to is, okay, what is something you would give your weekend for? Mm -hmm. um, you know, a lot of people give their entire Saturday to college football. Um, and I mean, they wear the colors. They buy the chairs with the, with the emblem on there. They buy the beer that is just for that team. Um, and, and you could do that with any day of the week that a certain sport lands on. Um, or you've got people who do that, you know, with, with different, you know, church groups or something like that, where they give a lot of their time. Well, conservation's a lot like that. 
it's it's giving to to you know make things better now with sports that the tie together is a little you know a lot of people think that their cheering actually helps their team win the thing with conservation is you go and you do the work and it actually does help your team win yeah um and and so we'll we'll start talking on that level you know we there are these these are people who give their weekends to go and pull fences so that calves don't get tangled up in them and and die you know uh, or go do stream cleanup so that the fish aren't eating plastics um, and the waterfowl aren't eating plastics and uh, you know all these different activities uh, people who show up to town meetings about new developments and whatnot on the edge of town where there might be deer habitat or, or some other species or, or down like in Florida right now the first people to speak up when the big algae thing went off were the anglers um, it wasn't it wasn't the communities in the cities. It was the anglers who were running into it, seeing the tarp and wash up on shore. And once you explain how that passion ties directly into someone's way of life, then they start to see the dollar signs in the back of their head because that's what they're paid to do. They're paid to how do you turn someone's passion into money? Mm -hmm. Well, if there's nothing for someone to pursue or if the opportunities greatly decrease, then you've got a real problem. And unfortunately, that's where we have to start the conversation with these people is somewhere that some would call whoring out wildlife to take care of itself, to help it pay its way. But once you start that conversation, it is the rare person who engages it that is able to walk away from it in the long term. Usually once you've engaged somebody then and they get to see it firsthand, um, it, it has a lasting impact and they, they don't leave it behind. Okay. Now let's talk details. Uh, for the individual who is listening and only hearing about 2% for conservation for the very first time, break down what is 2% for conservation and how it works. So we're a 501c3, which means we're a nonprofit. It means we also do not give money to political campaigns, nor can we support those who do. Um, and what we do is we certify businesses and individuals that give 1% of their time annually and 1% of their income annually to conservation work. We certify that it's already happened. So for an individual, uh, it is the honor system because we've got members in multiple countries and the legality of me looking at someone's tax returns from Morocco or something like that is just not, it, it, it's cost prohibitive. Um, so it's honor system for individuals to get signed up. We do check in on them. Uh, there have been a few people who have tried to troll the system a little bit, and we've you know kind of bust them. That's the worst conservation karma in the world if you lie about how much you're giving back. But uh, that's the honor system. But for businesses, there is a proper application process, which you went through, where there's an application packet, asks you, all right, how much came in, and then how much donated went out and did you do at least 21 hours of volunteer time? 21 hours is 1% of one person's time. For individuals and businesses, that's what we require uh, for, the, for the time percentage. Not per employee at a business, but 21 hours across the entire company. And the reason is if you were a huge company with 300 employees or more, you'd have to hire someone just to keep track of those hours. And at that point, money's not going to conservation. So, right. yeah. Um, so for businesses and individuals, 21 hours. But on the on the 1% of income, for businesses, that's gross annual sales, gross annual income. 
Um, and uh, what we count for donation are anything that you would uh, charge money for that you donate. So it could be product. If you have a brewery, for instance, we have a certified brewery, 406 Brewing in, in Bozeman. Uh, he donates a lot of beer or he uh, sells it at a much, much reduced rate. And we count the amount that he you know, uh, gives the discount at uh, to conservation groups. He also opens up his space to conservation groups that he normally charges corporate groups for. Um, so we count that as a donation. Um, we have you know, companies making gear and they donate that gear for raffles. Um, we count that. There's companies that have services and they donate their services to conservation that they would normally charge for. We count that. Uh, it could also be donating uh, employee time with you know the tools you have. If you're a construction company and you go and help with your skid steer or backhoe and you don't charge for it uh, and you volunteer that that uh, you know machinery time, we count that. Uh, it, it also doesn't have to be straight to a nonprofit. It could be a conservation project. So, for instance, you went out and, and you did some public land or, you know, trailhead cleanup. Um, we count that. You went and, and, and put your hours towards that. Um, and then, you know, as far as donated, uh, you, uh, you can talk about what you donated um, uh, to, to QDMA and others. Um, but the, the financial end of things is a massive value from the businesses for the conservation groups. But the volunteer hours from the individuals uh, that's that's also a huge value. Right. Uh, businesses are able to give more money and give services that would cost more money to conservation groups, you know, at at free or or greatly reduced cost, and that helps the work advance. Uh, the volunteer hours from the individuals are probably the most valuable thing from 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 volunteers for the conservation groups. So uh, it's kind of a two pronged approach uh, to help help not only the groups but then local causes. Because it doesn't, we don't tell people where they have to put their funds. People don't send us stuff and then we distribute it. That's not how it works. We certify what you're doing, and so it could be for your local, you know, your local shooting club, your local rod and gun club, your archery league, where you, you know, have a kids' day and kids come free. Um, it could be, you know, you're you're just a group of people in your community, and you go and you improve uh, habitat in your park for, you know, maybe some grouse hunting. Um, you know, it, it could be a broad range of things uh, because every little bit helps. And when I look at our individual membership and our business membership and what they've reported back, most are giving extremely locally, which is 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 really great to see. It, it makes it a little trickier for us as, you know, we, we look to expand because people are kind of staying local uh, when they're wearing the hats and the, and the stickers and whatnot. Um, but at the same time, it's good to see those projects uh, uh, get get poured out into all different types of communities. Absolutely. Now I'm going to take this uh, moment to kind of share what I did in order to get the Sportsman's Nation certified. So um, f- from the money standpoint, right, 1% money, uh, I... I created a t-shirt with another company and I sold it. The It said uh, profits from this shirt went to conservation, had a big uh, red Nine Finger Chronicles uh, palm print on it. Uh, I sold that uh, and all of the all of my profits went to the National Deer Alliance. And uh, I tangled in some other companies who were willing to either match or 
uh, you know, donate a little bit of money to the National Deer Alliance as well. And I think just that alone raised $1,200 for the National mm-hmm. Deer Alliance. And that was something kind of spur of the moment. And that right there, that there alone covered my 1% uh, of, you know, the donations. But at the same time, I promoted it on the podcasts. Uh, I promoted it on social media. So the time that I used to promote that, it, you know, a portion of that 1% time, 21 hours went to my 1% time. So Mm -hmm. I, so that plus, um, uh, some work I did, uh, promoting the QDMA on gathering members on a discounted rate through promoting that discount code on, uh, the podcast, uh, created, I want to say 50 new members for the quality deer Man- management association, which That's amazing. Yeah. Which was awesome. That, that, yeah. that there alone is a win. And then I had like, uh, what, nine or 10 hours or eight hours left or something like that. And, uh, I wanted to get some boots on the ground for that. So I went to some public land, uh, hunting ground. That's pretty close to my house. And I drove to parking lots and went to trails and I picked up like five or six carloads of garbage. Yeah. <laughs> it was nuts how much, it was nuts how much garbage I picked, uh, picked up, but uh, the last day when I got that, I think I, I needed one hour or two hours left and I took my kids with me and I, I involved my kids and, and was explaining to them why this, why this is important. But, uh, that is how, you know, all that combined is how the sportsman's nation was now is, is now certified. And I'm, I'm working right now on my second t-shirt, which mm. proceeds are going to be going to. Uh, the quality deer management association. So cool. uh, I'm, you know, it's one of those things where it doesn't stop. It just keeps going and going and going. And that's my goal. And it's something that I wanted to do early on uh, with the sportsman's nation. So, because I wanted to be able from a business standpoint, I wanted to be able to budget conservation costs into my annual, my annual company budget. So it's mm-hmm. just, it's just an expense for me at that point, but I'm doing it for a, a great cause. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and, and it's, that's why we wanted it to be something that people could, could kind of mold to what fits your interests and your culture. Right. Um, you know, we didn't want to be one of the, there are a couple certification orgs for different types of things where it's like, well, you have to give to this, you have to do it this way. Um, conservation work happens from the one random person who's been going and replanting trees, you know, on his own with, with no one asking him to, and him not telling anybody that he's doing it. Um, you know, for, you know, the, the, I don't know if you saw the article about that old guy doing that, uh, on, on that one Island, but he was just doing it of his own volition. Now it's awesome habitat. Uh, it ranges from that all the way to huge, you know, property purchases by the Rocky mountain elk foundation. You know, there's it's a broad range of of work and everyone has a place in it, but everyone needs to find their place in it. Right. And we we want to make it easy for people to to do that so we can help people uh, find, you know, what, you know, a, a good place to give for what they're passionate about. We're, we're fairly well connected with the conservation groups. Um, 
on on getting folks connected with the right people so that you know uh, folks don't fall through the cracks, projects don't fall through the cracks. Uh, but ultimately, ultimately, we like to leave it up to the individual and the business. Yep, absolutely. So, I I want to kind of share a, a quick little story about why I I feel conservation is so important now. When I was younger, I used to go to state parks and go camping a lot with my dad. And um, we would go to places. If you live in Iowa, you probably know about these places. They're right along the Mississippi River. Effigy Mounds, Backbone Backbone State Park um, is one. Um, Yellow River Forest. All these public places. um, And... We used to I used there. to live there. Sorry. Uh, that's, that's why I chuckled. Oh, but, you used uh, to live in Northeast Iowa? I lived Iowa? in Lansing. Yeah. Oh, no, awesome. Yeah. <laughs> wow. My, my voice got really high, but there, but, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, we used to go up to Eastern Iowa all the time as a kid, we'd go camping and hiking there. And I remember one day we're walking down the trails and these guys got all these railroad tiles, um, railroad ties ripped out of the ground and they're redoing the trails and they're rebuilding the steps and stuff. And I was talking to my dad about that. And my dad says, that's kind of that first day I started learning about conservation. Right. And, Mm. you know, talking about how volunteers are what makes these trails passable. It, what it's, what makes, um, you know, uh, God, what was this? There's, there's this one thing in Iowa, uh, reap or harp or I man, I can't remember what it is, but my, my grandfather was part of it where you don't spray your ditches so that, uh, songbirds could have the natural, um, the natural, uh, I guess, uh, the growth. cover in the, yeah. in the, in, in the, the, uh, insecta feed. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So there was food and cover for, for them in the ditches. And, uh, he, he took part in that program. And so my dad was telling me like all these things go to what you love. So if you, you know, if you're ever going to give back, you should give back to things that you love. Fast forward 25 years, 30 years, here we are. And I'm giving, I, I'm giving back to what I love and that's the outdoors, hunting, fishing, and, uh, you know, all the other stuff that uh, kind of revolves around that. So that's kind of where I was educated on it. And what I, what I hope to accomplish it in this podcast is that there are people listening out there right now that may, th- you know, they, they want to be part of something, but you know, maybe they don't have time to be part of anything big. So what I want you to do is tell that person how important the small things are as well. Yeah. Yeah. I, it's, it's huge. Um, the, the struggle with, with wildlife and, and, and with fish, uh, and their, their population numbers, the quality of, of the populations, the range of the populations, it's always death by a thousand cuts. You know, right now down in, you know, down in Florida, there's that big kill off going on. Those are pretty rare. Usually, you know, for like a mule deer, there, there are places where they're absolutely overblown, and then there's places where they're uh, honestly going extinct in a, in a, in certain regions of the West. Um, and, but it, you know, it's these small communities where suddenly a bunch of houses went up. Now that deer herd went from 50 down to five. Um, we see this death by a thousand cuts everywhere. The best thing that you can do 
is have solutions by basically a thousand salves, thousand, not band-aids, but, you know, uh, have people doing small actions all over the place. So 1% of time, that's just 21 hours. But when you take that and you, you put it across the entire 2% certified membership, so far this year, we're over 10,000 hours. We're approaching 11,000 hours wow. of volunteer time. Yeah. Um, on the, on the financial side, if we were to say that, okay, everyone was of median income, um, and that's 500 bucks per person. And then you take the businesses and we look at that. We're also looking at over 3 million that's been donated by 2% certified businesses and individuals to conservation. Oh, wow. Now, if you, if you take one of those actions, it might seem small, but you add that up and you put it across multiple species, you put it across access issues, you put it across, uh, ecosystems down to, you know, you've got a local rod and gun club that goes and does a fawn count. That may not seem like much, but it helps the game agencies do tag quotas, which helps the overall, you know, population. Um, you have people going down and doing uh, invasive species, you know, counts to, to figure out what kind of actions need to be done. We're talking like five hours on a Saturday doing a couple things a year. It does a, a wonders for, for the local populations. Volunteering at a local banquet for an uh, organization you care about. Those banquets bring in a lot of money that goes directly into taking care of wildlife. Uh, everyone knows game agencies, federal agencies. Um, I don't know if you've got Canadian listeners, but you know provincial agencies, uh, they're strapped for funds. Uh, they, routinely, wildlife get the back burner when it comes to funding. And so any small action we can take as someone who's already taking from the resource can be extremely helpful. Gotcha. And, 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 you know, folks think that what they do might not matter. You go out and you help with that one fence pole, you go out and you clear that trailhead, clearing that trailhead may mean that a family gets to go out there. Family going out there means a couple more kids are going outside instead of sitting on their Xbox. And now they're in get, you know, they may see a fawn while they're out there. They may hear, you know, the songbirds. They might hear a partridge, you know, or depending where you're from, partridge or grouse, uh, drumming on a log, you know, and that will have a profound impact on that kid's life. Um, the reason why I, I was living in, in Northeast Iowa is I was teaching outdoor education and working at a kid's camp. Um, and we worked with the Iowa public school system. And brought kids from like Des Moines and Dubuque who had never seen the stars at night, which I know sounds crazy that kids from Iowa would have never seen the stars at night. But we had that happen. Um, and that was only possible because of the conservation volunteer time put together by the local rod and gun club with the trails that we would go to. Those little things have a profound impact, not just on the fish and wildlife, but also on the culture and the culture that surrounds the outdoors. Right. Right. And that's awesome. All right. So now it's time to, to flex a little bit, brag a little bit. Talk to us about maybe some big or maybe even small, some big things that uh, 2% was able to accomplish and maybe share with us some big things you're working on for the future. Yeah. Yeah. So um, you know, we're only three years old, so we're, we're still in the, you know, kind of toddler phase as an org. Um, 
and our org is also, like I said, you can't buy it. You have to be doing the work to get certified. You can't just buy a membership. So our membership numbers are only going to grow as the culture matures. Uh, the culture within hunting and fishing matures uh, to the point of giving back. Um, with that, we have started some initiatives within our org and and in partnership with others to help the culture shift a little bit more quickly uh, than if we were to just be sitting on our own soapbox. Uh, so one of the things we did this last year is we started the first conservation media award that is for all conservation media. So not just hunting, not just fishing, not just one species. Lots of different conservation orgs have things for media, but they're typically species specific. So we started that and we opened it up to books, podcasts, articles, films, TV shows. If it's if it's something that someone could read, see, or hear, um, we we in, included it as as something that we would consider. We had several entries from around the U.S. and Canada, and Mexico. Um, and ultimately it was, it was Jason Matzinger's project elk that won, uh, because the criteria for the award, it wasn't just, Hey, who can make the coolest hunting or fishing video? It was who can make a, a, a piece of media. So again, it could be anything. Didn't have to be video. Who could do a piece of media that would be easily accessible for the public and not just easily accessible as far as, you know, you can just go and, and, and listen to it or see it. Or read it, uh, but that the content is something that someone who doesn't hunt would understand. Right. And so the conservation issue would be explained in such a way that someone who doesn't hunt would be able to understand. And I'm not meaning you know you're going to show this to an anti-hunter and change their mind. Not that kind of thing. But you know the 80% of people uh, in the middle on the issue regarding hunting, will they be able to understand why? why hunting is a necessary tool for conservation? Uh, is it something that multiple ages will be able to understand? And is it something that's timely, something that's necessary? And so he won the first year and we presented him with the award, but we're gonna have it every year. Um, we presented it at uh, the Professional Outdoor Media Association's banquet this last year, kind of for the first year kickoff, but this next year we're gonna be presenting it at our other big initiative, which is the Bozeman Conservation Convention which is a bit of a mouthful. We just call it Bozeman ConCon. But uh, what it is is kind of a multi-faith, for lack of a better term, uh, or multiple practice conservation convention. So we'll be bringing in people from hunting and fishing. We'll be bringing in people who aren't part of hunting and fishing but work on, on landscape stuff. Uh, we're going to be bringing in businesses and experts from the field to discuss about you know relevant conservation issues how businesses and how individuals can be involved and then also with some training for conservation volunteers and employees uh, provided by some of the businesses that you know when we were talking earlier these folks have great business expertise well let's use some of that to help the conservation orgs so we're going to bring that together there will be a film festival that goes with it and uh, also a storytelling night, people telling their conservation work stories. Um, so that's a, a second big initiative. But both of those are, are put towards changing culture. The, the, the one with the media is a general broad, hey, let's reward people who put conservation at the forefront of their, their, their efforts in the media space. And, and that will have an effect on everyone who consumes that. 
not just the media itself, but everyone who consumes that media. And that includes non-hunters. Uh, but then the other is more to address things within the industry. You know, that that second uh, kind of roadblock I ran into of people not wanting to work together. Our theme for the first year is conservation is not a competition. And we're going to have uh, conservation groups speaking about issues on the same panel as someone who's from an industry that might be uh, putting that species in peril or or in, in and the way we'll we'll frame it is, you know, it's this versus this. But actually, they both believe in what, you know, the cause is. They both believe in conservation and that industry leader will share, you know, what the best practice is for for how you can, you know, have your condos, but also keep your mule deer. Um, we'll have that on multiple levels and that'll be summer solstice 2019 and that'll be an annual event. Uh, the other thing is, is helping nonprofits connect with the businesses. Uh, there's a lot of small groups that, uh, you know, if they call up a big camo company, the, the camo company doesn't know them from Adam. So we can, we can help connect people in that way. Uh, that's part of our mission is, is helping move funds and dollars to causes that are real and causes that matter. And I would say a decent chunk of my day is spent on emails, Instagram messages, and phone calls from different orgs and businesses wondering how they can you know better do stuff together, which is really exciting to see. Awesome. Well, I'm very excited and, and you know personally, I'm proud to be uh, certified for 2% for conservation. and You're uh, the first podcast, by the way. Boom. Yeah. That's where we're going to end the podcast right there. The first, <laughs> the first podcast to be 2% certified. So it, that's, uh, man, that's big for me. And uh, I, I wanted to make sure I, I got that done. And now um, it's, you know, I can be onto bigger and better things when it comes to uh, conservation. And uh, I'm looking forward to taking those next steps with, uh, the sportsman's nation and uh um i'm just happy that organizations like yours exists for me to you know basically work alongside with and for those of you who are interested in you know becoming two percent certified visit fishandwildlife.org uh check out that website all the information you need is on there and uh if you have any questions man email those guys hit them up on social media and uh i take it you'll answer oh yeah yeah we respond to every single one and you know a lot of folks are a little nervous they're like oh i don't know if i can do this or they don't you know they, they think they might sound dumb or whatever like how do i give back i've been hunting for 40 years i don't you know don't you know don't 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 feel that way there's no judgment here this is there's a reason why we exist and it's to help you right and and so make you know the you can call the phone number on the website you can email right there you can whatever information you need we are here to help we want to help you be able to give back in a way that makes sense for you and i mean if this is this is wholly necessary for the future of, of hunting, fishing, and fish and wildlife conservation. So whatever it takes to help folks, we're, we're here for it. Absolutely. Well, Mr. Jared Frazier, I really appreciate uh, your time coming on and talking 2% with us today. Hey, thanks for having me. And that's it. Another podcast signed, sealed, and delivered. Huge shout out to Jared for hopping on the podcast and uh, walking us through what 2% for Conservation is all about. Huge shout out to all the partners of this podcast, Exodus Trail Cameras, 
wasp broadheads, lone wolf portable tree stands, deer lab, prime archery, ripcord air arrests, ozonic scent elimination, and hunter safety systems. Man, please go out and support those companies because they support this podcast. Last but not least, social media. Make sure you guys are following the Sportsman's Nation and Nine Finger Chronicles on Facebook and Instagram. Oh, and make sure you are buying the Nine Finger Nation t-shirt at bustedrack.com. Do it, do it, do it, do it, do it. And I think that's it. I'm going to keep the, the outro short today. And just a friendly reminder to all of you guys, not only from myself, but from our good friends at Hunter Safety Systems, please wear your damn safety harness. Have a good rest of your week.